Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad checking in this afternoon for the next three hours on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Farm Bureau. Bunch to get through this afternoon. You can be a part of the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. What's up, boys? Another day. Another day closer to the weekend. Another day of sports here in the great and sovereign state of Mississippi. Sorry to wake you up, hey, Dad. What do you mean, wake me up? You sounded like you were asleep. I was like, hey, guys, what's up? You're like, another day closer to the weekend. At least I said something. What are these other two doing? They're just sitting back talking about doing nothing. Yeah, Porky, how are you? Oh, the reason I didn't say anything is I, I was scrambling to start recording the podcast because I forgot to hit record about 30 seconds ago. So if you're listening to the podcast, sorry about missing the intro there. Yeah, welcome aboard. Rippy, you good? Good. I did, what time did you go to sleep last night? Um. Well, it's funny you say that because I tried to go to sleep at like 9.15 because I was pretty delirious and pretty tired. But once I started the Netflix Firefest documentary... I was up till eleven thirty or whatever, however long the documentary was, because I went start to finish. Did that not just absolutely blow your mind? Oh yeah, like if if this whole radio gig fails, I got something else going for me. <laughs> <laughs> hey Dad, have you, hey Dad, have you watched it yet? I haven't. I, I am like I guess I'm the last one here. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, so here's what we're talking about. If you have Netflix, there is a new documentary up called Fire Festival, F-Y-R-E, Fire. So there's two. There's also one on Hulu, right? That paid Billy McFarlane to be in it. So apparently apparently to get the full scope, you need to watch both. Netflix one is amazing, though. Haven't seen Hulu. Does that mean I'm going to have to subscribe to Hulu? You can Um, watch it for free. Oh, well, good. You, You have to make an account, but you can watch it for free. Have you seen both, Porky? I have. So, I like the Netflix one better. The The Hulu one focused more on the financial aspect of it and less on the, uh, air quotes, planning stage in the actual well, uh, festival. But, but, so. but hold on a second, because I think there are people probably all over Mississippi or wherever you're listening, they're going, what are you talking about? So Fire Festival was an attempt, uh, an attempt at holding a massive glitzy, four millennials, crazy music festival in the Bahamas. And Billy McFarland was the founder of a company. The The, the initial premise was not actually a terrible one. They, they were trying to launch an app that basically was a new way to book musical acts, as opposed to having to go through agents and middlemen and all the nonsense that goes along. It was a way to build the app. But as part of this, they decided to have a music festival in the Bahamas, and they turned it into this like glitzy, glamorous thing. And they had a big photo video shoot with a bunch of Instagram models, and it looked great going in. On Norman's K, which is Carlos later Pablo Escobar Island. This was the island that was owned by Pablo Escobar 
in the Bahamas, had an airstrip on it already. And the promotional material was incredible. And their def- whoever they hired to do that made it look amazing. Like, sure. even knowing that the festival was a failure, watching the promotional material makes you want to go to the festival, even though you know it's a failure. It's that good. And and this was a thing where, like, on the bottom end, you could spend three or $4,000 to get a ticket and lodging. And on the high end, it was like a $250,000 deal where you were going to stay in this unbelievable cabana or on a yacht and, you know, VIP everything doesn't cost you a nickel once you get there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the whole thing was a scam. And the execution was uh, beyond lack. They tried to do it in too short of a time frame. They overpromised and underdelivered. Uh, they were told right up front when they, air quotes here, bought Pablo Escobar's island that they couldn't mention that it was Pablo Escobar's island. And so in the very first promotional piece they roll out, they go, island formerly owned by Pablo Escobar. And so they were basically kicked off the island, and they went and found like a uh, like a, a shuttered housing development. Yeah, it was a failed resort. Grand Exuma. So your $250,000 luxury package was a, uh emergency disaster tent. That's exactly what it was. That got, it looked kind of like an igloo and didn't keep water out. That got rained on the day before you got there. <laughs> Sounds like a it's, money-making scheme to me. I'm in. Well, Maybe I'm, I mean, I'm in with you on this if it doesn't work in, out. In the name of raising money for his company and for the event, this guy Billy McFarland valued the company at $90 million. When in reality they had generated sixty thousand dollars in revenue, he what he claimed to have five million in Facebook stock. In reality, he had fifteen hundred bucks. He had fifteen hundred dollars worth of Facebook stock, and claimed in financial papers that he owned five million dollars worth of Facebook stock. So this show is worth like ten to twelve billion dollars in his in his portfolio. If yeah, you something like that. Wow. So, anyway, fascinating story, um, and it kind of shows you that there uh, there are a few scammers that uh, that are out well, there. The best part of the entire thing is after the festival becomes a disaster, and after they're exposed for everything, and after he's out on bail, he's about to go to jail, he starts <laughs> another company where they just email the guest list from the failed festival saying they have master's tickets and courtside seats at NBA games and backstage passes at uh, like movie award f- shows. A meet and greet with Taylor Swift. A meet and greet with Taylor Swift. and oh, My daughter would love that. How much is it? Taylor Swift doesn't actually do meet and greets. That's yeah. part of the beauty of this. They, yeah, so they emailed this master list and got $100,000 from these people to buy these tickets that never existed. So he's out on bail and then starts another scam company and then gets caught doing that as well. All on video, by the way. All of it. Every second of this was recorded, which makes the documentary so remarkable. It's not telling a story in which it, it was just interviews and firsthand accounts. All of it was recorded. And he wanted it recorded. Yeah, they paid people to follow them around. So what's coming up today on Sports Talk Mississippi? Ole Miss has a player that is entering the transfer portal. Tell you who, coming up a little bit later. A high-profile quarterback has also 
entered the transfer portal, not one that plays for Ole Miss. Did you see Tennessee Vanderbilt last night? Tennessee wins in overtime against Vanderbilt, but it wasn't without a little bit of controversy. Where does Jay Billis have Ole Miss and Mississippi State in regard to the NCAA tournament? Braden Thornberry is making his PGA Tour debut today as a professional. He is playing for actual money, not just um, an entry on his resume. And last I checked, he was plus one through six. Um, Big slate of games coming up on Saturday uh, in hoops. NCAA with, um, well, that working group of the the Power Five, the Autonomy Conference has got together, and there are some recommendations. And one of the things that athletes want is the ability to have agents while they are in school. And this is actually something that may be gaining a little bit of traction. And, Borky, you're going to have to tell me more about Big Lebowski. You've never heard of Big Lebowski? No. Here we go again with these movies. Yes. Okay. I've heard of Big Lebowski. <laughs> you have a, a, an entry item here that says there is new news about Big Lebowski. I'm asking you to perhaps preview that. Yeah, I was about to be very hypocritical with my movie shaming on you if you haven't seen uh, or heard of that. But yeah, there was a, a teaser tweeted today where it's only it's like 15 seconds long and it's just him and he laughs a little bit and walking away and after he walks away. The screen cuts to black, and it has the date of the Super Bowl on it. And no other context, except for most people are assuming that that means on that day we will either get a release date, a real trailer, or something of Big Lebowski 2. 20 oh, years are we later. sure it's not just going to be a commercial? You don't tease a commercial like that. Oh, Super Bowl commercials, I bet they do. Maybe that would so. be the world's biggest letdown. What a buzzkill, yeah. We'll see. Just getting started with you. You can text the show. You can also send us a message on Twitter at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Cross, Borky, Haydad, and Rippy. Three hours this afternoon with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Are you thinking about building a dream home on a piece of property that you have found? Maybe it's a cabin or a shop or just a place to kind of go and get away. If that's what you're thinking about or what you're looking for and you're in North Mississippi, then uh, might I suggest Mississippi Land Bank. Branch locations all across North Mississippi. Great people to deal with who understand the land financing business. They've been doing it for a little over 100 years Mississippi Land Bank, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Hey, Dad, did you watch basketball last night? No, I didn't get back from uh, from Oxford Town. Uh, I had time to see uh, the the early games, and I didn't I didn't watch the late games. No. Okay. I, saw, I was um, in my car when Twitter blew up about this this officiating uh, at the Tennessee Vanderbilt game. Yeah. So so Tennessee Vandy last night. You've got Vanderbilt up four with just a little bit of time to play. And Grant Williams, who, by the way, had an unbelievable game last night. Grant Williams for Tennessee. And a Vanderbilt player get tied up underneath the basket. Williams goes down hard, and they go to the replay monitor. 
one of the points of emphasis, and it was called a bunch at the beginning of the year, and it's kind of waned throughout the year a little bit, as sometimes is the case when you have a new point of emphasis, was the complete elimination of the hook and hold. Usually that's with big guys where you'll see an arm that's kind of hooked under another arm, and then they'll kind of hold it. And There there were some injuries as a result of it. They're trying to get it out of the game. And Vanderbilt's guy, after a long review, is called for a hook and hold. Tennessee gets two free throws and the ball. They get a bucket. They tie it up. Ultimately, the game goes to overtime, and then Tennessee wins it in overtime. Nearly had a fight at the end of the overtime period as well, but that's... I guess neither here nor there. Borky, I know you watched it. What'd you think? Well, I'll tell you this. I when I watched the replay and saw it, calling the flagrant one there, I thought was egregious, and I thought the Tennessee player had a lot of showmanship involved to get it. But then I read somebody like Gary Parrish today, and and he not only says it was the right call, but emphatic in that. Anybody that disagrees is wrong, and they called it by the exact letter of the rule. So my eyes thought that 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 being a flagrant one is ridiculous, but apparently, according to much smarter basketball people than myself, uh, that was called exactly correct. Well, and I think the reason that Gary Parrish says that, if you go back and you watch the replay, not the fall at the end, but before the fall at the end, you see the Vanderbilt player loop his arm underneath Grant Williams, and then kind of mash down. And that is kind of the definition of what they're trying to get out of the game, where you hook another player with your arm, and then you hold them in place. The idea is you're trying to kind of hold your position for rebounding. It's something that guys have been able to get away with in the past. Rippy, you watched it. What would you think? So I did, I was not familiar. Like I, I knew it was controversial right when it happened, but I was not familiar with the exact letter of the rule until today. When you know, as Borky mentioned, kind of people like Gary Parrish kind of explained it and, and and how that was the exact right call. So I thought it was the right call, and I don't think it necessarily cost Vandy the game. Like that seemed to be like the scapegoat moment and all of that. Yeah, uh, you might say that Grant Williams dropping forty three points cost Vandy the game. And what, he got to the free throw line, he shot 21, 22, 23 of 23. Most uh, made free throw attempts without a miss since a player for Oklahoma State in 1951. Wow. You, you got a feel for Vandy, too, because, I mean, you like they, they had Bryce Drew mic'd up, and like he was kind of, I mean, he was coaching, but he was also kind of trying to just will them through that game, and that, that felt like a kind of a big moment for them after they'd obviously 0-5 start struggling, and then just to lose in that fashion is pretty brutal. Yeah, and with Vandy, you're talking about the worst start in conference play in school history. Ever. There have been a lot, there have been some Really good basketball teams at Vandy. There have been some great basketball teams. There have been some bad basketball teams at Vanderbilt through the years. None of them had ever started 0-5 in league play. They are now 0-6 in league play. Hey, Dad, you watched Vanderbilt on Saturday night. Yeah. And you came away thinking they were abysmal. Yeah. And with good reason. Maybe... I mean, no moral victories, I get that, but against the number one team in the country and an in-state rival, to play the way they did, they probably deserve a little bit of credit. Probably so. My question is this, though. What about Tennessee? This is two straight games where they've had to sort of grind it out 
Uh, and, and, you know, and both games had a little controversial officiating at the very end uh, that got Tennessee over the hump. Are, are we are we completely locked in to Tennessee being, you know, has the has being number one gotten to them a little bit maybe? I don't know. Well, they've only played one game as the number one team, and that was last night. Yeah, they knew they were going to be number one when they played Alabama, though. I was going to ask. They, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Their game against Vander or against Alabama happened earlier in the day. Did it? Okay. Duke didn't lose to Virginia or uh, didn't beat Virginia until after Tennessee okay. Alabama had gone final. Okay. February twenty third, Tennessee LSU and Baton Rouge on Saturday at noon. That should be fun. That should be a lot of fun. With the way that's shaping up. LSU has won 14 in a row at home? Or it's more than that? Maybe it's more than that, that they've won. Maybe it's 18 in a row that they've won consecutively at home. They got a, a win last night over Georgia by 10. Just kind of finishing up on the 43 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal, and 4 blocks last night for Grant Williams of Tennessee. And he did I mean, it by missing two three-pointers. Now that's that's some SEC Player of the Week stuff for sure. I mean that's that's really impressive. Did last night tell you anything about Tennessee though, other than just if you're playing on the road, even though the crowd was very much pro Tennessee, just get a win and get out and don't worry about it. Or was there something there that you saw that maybe makes you think that Tennessee is gettable at some point? I mean they're going to drop real... a game. Yeah, yeah they're, they're gettable not going in this league. They're not going but, 18 or no. Right, but I mean get a bull by like Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if State and Ole Miss play their best game and Tennessee doesn't, both of those teams can beat Tennessee. But what did, did last night show you anything? It, what what is yeah. What did you see? Not just they can because the two teams hit the court, but like what from Tennessee – is exploitable, or what did they show that leads you to believe that they? Got well, they gave up. They gave up ten made threes for one thing, and one thing that we know about both Mississippi State and Ole Miss in the right scenario, they can make a bunch of three pointers. Yeah, and and so you know if you can shoot fifty percent from behind the arc and hit ten or twelve threes, it's kind of the great equalizer. Um, you got to figure out a way to get to the free throw line against them. And to me, the biggest, if, if you want to get Tennessee, you've got to go at them. And I realize it sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. Because if, if you make, let's just say you make 12 threes on 27 attempts, well, how much time are you really spending attacking the basket to try and get Schofield and Grant Williams in foul trouble? If you really want to get them, you get those two guys in foul trouble and get them out of the game. But obviously Grant Williams plays 38 minutes last night. Schofield played 30 minutes. So, for Is there anybody in like, America, though, that you don't think on a given night is gettable? I mean, Duke has lost. Gonzaga has lost. Virginia Duke's lost twice. Lost. Yeah, I mean, there, I wouldn't say there's parity. But at the top, among the, the good teams, they're all good enough to beat each other. I think Duke can get to a level, though, where nobody can touch them. I'm not saying they'll bring that like every night, but I mean, you've seen it Duke, a couple Duke of times. Duke at their this year, best, right? yeah. Duke, when they play their best game, is probably the closest to can't be beaten we have this year. 
How many teams, though, are able to bring their best to the floor every single night? I, I just think so it's you, hard to do that consistently. Yeah. And that's kind of the sport, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, it was a light night last night in the SEC from a basketball standpoint. You had that game with uh, Tennessee winning in overtime. LSU gets another one, 80, uh, 92-82 over Georgia. And Missouri went from down one. I think they were down 61-60 to and then allowed Arkansas to score the final 11 points of the game. They lose 72-60. Boy, you talk about a much-needed win Arkansas got a much-needed win last night. Do either of those teams scare you in the least? If you got to play them, not even a they little. Have talent, especially Arkansas. Arkansas has some talent, so yeah. I mean, you got to be a little concerned, especially. I think State plays them on the road, so that's gonna be tough. Yeah, I'd be much more concerned about playing Arkansas at Bud Walton than if you get them at your place. Sports Talk Mississippi. Got some more basketball news coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, and Brian Haydad. Haydad joining us today on the Farm Bureau phone line. Coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, we will visit with our buddy Ryan Brown from Jocks in Birmingham. Uh, Talk to him about uh, lots of things that are going on uh, in and around uh, probably college football primarily. Uh, so look forward to that coming up a little bit later. Jay Billis. Uh, okay, so do, do we put any stock in Jay Billis's top 68 teams? I know generally speaking when Jay Billis talks, we listen. He's kind of like college basketball's version of Kirk Herbstreit. But when you got a guy out there like Joe Lunardi, who all he does for ESPN is rank teams and do brackets. And he's got an army of statistics behind him and a pretty good track record of success. Do we listen when Jay Billis gives us his top 68? Yes, only because it's different. Bracketology in the NCAA tournament is not the 68 best teams in college basketball. It's, what is it, 32 conference champions and then 36 at-large, or is it the opposite? Is it 36 conference champions and 32 at-large? Yeah, I understand your point. So this, when he does this, is 1 through 68. In his mind, the best 68 teams in college basketball, half of this list, maybe, won't make the tournament. Okay. Yeah. I mean, All right, so just, Billis... No I'm sorry, go ahead, hey, Dad. It's, it's no, no different than any other analyst giving us power rankings, you know, for whatever you want to do. It, it's just his opinion. But it's at least we know that it's an educated and well-thought-out and well-reasoned analytical opinion. Well, and, and I guess ultimately that's what I'm getting at is, do you put stock in Jay Billis's opinion? Yeah, I do. Okay. He has listed his top 68 teams in college basketball. Here are the ones from the SEC. He's got Tennessee at number three. Says the Vols are legit and have two SEC Player of the Year candidates in Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield. Williams is nearly unstoppable in the middle of the floor, brings it every game. Tennessee's not going to overwhelm teams with talent alone. When the Vols guard people, they can beat anyone. When they are casual on the defensive end, any good team can give them a tussle. 
So maybe rewinding to what we were talking about a little bit, the idea of is Tennessee gettable, I guess if you catch them on a night where they're not as locked in, where they're not playing pants on fire, then then maybe that's the night you want to catch them. But again, like we were just saying, that's sort of true about everybody. I mean, Tennessee, I guess Tennessee, what, what we're saying is they can play maybe, they could probably slip down to even maybe a C-plus game and still win. But beyond that, they're, they're in trouble. Kentucky, he has at number seven, says, give John Calipari credit. This dude does not surrender to the excuses of youth, and he just keeps coaching up to young guys, and they respond. It happened last year. Like with Shea Gilgis Alexander, freshman point guard Ashton Hagens has broken out to become a team-changing star. We often refer to a player breaking out due to offensive performance, yet Hagens has done it because of his defense. Are you guys either on board or climbing on board the Kentucky train? I mean, they're playing better every time you see them, it seems. They, they, they just, since that loss to Alabama, they've gotten better, better every game. And that's what you want to see, right? Especially with a young team and an inexperienced team, that they're, they're showing you a little bit more every time out. And that's what Kentucky's been doing. And I guess if you ask the question, hey, would you rather be playing well in November or in late February? Or yep. early March, then the answer yep. is, of course, you want to be playing better late. And this uh, year is just another shining example of when people say John Calipari is a good recruiter and not a good basketball <laughs> coach, they have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, that narrative makes no sense because the last because he's kind of lost his niche the last couple of years, right, with the whole one and done thing. Now that he's losing to other schools on recruits, in the last couple of years that that's happened, like his teams have gotten progressively better as the season's gone on. And by the time they hit February and March, he kind of has them not only playing better together, but like he develops a lot of them, particularly at you know at point guard. That kind of came to mind last year and and in the post as well. Yeah, and you know. He's going to continue to recruit well because what they run, like all over the Kentucky game notes and everywhere else you look, they splash that number 1.2 billion, as in the number, the, the monetary value of contracts signed that played under John Calipari. 1.2 billion. billion. By the way, that number goes up. And worth about 12, 15 billion, no problem. Who would have? Billy McFarlane. <laughs> Good point. He's got Auburn at number 14, LSU at number 27, which I think is a little low. He says the Tigers have talent. Tremont Waters, Nas Reed, and Skylar Mays are all very good, and LSU has size and athleticism. If LSU can cut down on turnovers and mental errors, this team can take off. Schedule favors LSU to have a nice run into mid-February. He has Ole Miss at number 29. Says the Rebels have good guards in Davis, Tyree, and Schuler, and their home win over Auburn and their road win against Mississippi State have made believers of many. They can score. Blake Henson can stretch the defense. Olenichek can protect the rim. Ole Miss is not a pushover and should be an NCAA tournament team. The Rebels play Tennessee and Kentucky only once each, both at home. If you're looking at the schedule, that's a huge break for Ole Miss. Yeah. You get those two teams only once, and you get them at your place. Yeah, and State has to play Kentucky and and Auburn twice. Mm. 
Mississippi State, he brings in at number 33. Ben Howland has three experienced SEC vets. In Q Weatherspoon, Eric Coleman, and Lamar Peters, all of whom can score, hit threes, and get to the foul line. With a solid offense, Mississippi State is an NCAA tournament team. Got to have that solid offense. Got to have it. Okay. Can't, can't shoot like he shot on a Tuesday night, for sure. Yeah, why is the three-point shooting gone in the tank recently? I don't know the answer to that. and I steal from Rick Ray here. If I knew it, I'd make a lot more money. Uh, but... I mean, because I looked at the game, you know, when you watch the game from Tuesday, there were open looks. They missed open looks. So that that's you know, that's a mental thing to me. And and I don't know. Because like I said, against Florida last week they were ten of seventeen, I think, from behind the arc. Shot really well. Then shot poorly at Vanderbilt and you know, shot their worst game of the season at Kentucky. So two games isn't a total trend. We'll see what happens this weekend against Auburn. If they do it three games in a row, yeah, you gotta be worried. But that's kind of it, though, right? Like good teams, like like if you rely that heavily on perimeter jump shots, like good teams, you got to find other ways to score, right? And that yeah, seems that, to be what Mississippi State is struggling with. Not that they're not. A, I think they're an NCAA tournament team, but like right. that's kind of what they're struggling to do, right? Is find other other right. Look at their front court Tuesday offense. night. No points. No points on O of two shooting from Holman and Nadu. You can't have that. Yeah. Well, how did they let that happen? Hey, because I, I think you tweeted it today. Hey, Dad, where Eric Holman is a, a projected draft pick. So you yeah. have a, an NBA big who can really shoot the basketball, especially from the outside, and, he, and he's not getting any shots up. Why not? That I don't know. Is it because he's a liability defensively? Like if 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 he played Woodard's type defense, I, I, well, I mean the oh, minutes. Are if the he plays Woodard type defense, he's a lottery pick. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's not. It's not a, a minutes issue. It's not that Howland's not putting him out there on the court. He he just looked disengaged and disinterested on on Tuesday night, and that's that's a huge issue for a senior playing in his home state. You would have thought, you know, would have been a little bit more uh, locked in, but was not, and it, it reflected on the score sheet. With regard to Mississippi State, Anthony asks a question on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed, and Anthony, it's a good question because it's one that Haydad and I talked about some off the air earlier this week. You say, will State win any game in the next five? Hey, Dad, you get the schedule handy, don't you? What are, what are the next yeah. five? Uh, next Auburn five. at home on Saturday. Auburn at home, at Alabama, at Ole Miss, LSU at home, Kentucky at home. I mean, they got to find a way to not – never mind win one. they got to win two in there. If they win two and, what, you're four and six, is that right? You're okay. I think you're okay. You're, you're not you're – you're disappointing still. But you're still on on pace to win to get back in the NCAA tournament, man. If you go, if you're two and eight after you play Kentucky, I don't know if you're going to make it. I mean, you're going to talk about having to win six, seven, eight in a row at some point. I, I, it's going to be very difficult for Mississippi State. It depends. I think you and I said this yesterday. That it depends on what Alabama team shows up. It depends on, uh, you know, at Ole Miss, you can beat Ole Miss, even though you know you've lost them at home. You can beat them on the road, but we'll see. It's going to be tough. Uh, so, so let's walk through those one at a time when we come back. Auburn, at Alabama, at Ole Miss. Who's the fourth one? LSU. LSU. And then Kentucky. And then Kentucky. We'll walk through those five. We'll look at what Ken Palm says about it, and uh, we'll try and make some sense of it as well coming up next. By the way, he had Florida. Jay Billis did it 48. 
said the advanced algorithms love the Gators who have seven losses on the ledger, but none of them are embarrassing. But they need to start blending those quality losses with some quality wins. Also had Alabama at number 54. Tell you what, if Alabama plays the way they did on Tuesday night, they are not the 54th best or worst team, depending on how you want to look at it in the country. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. So the question a moment ago from Jason, or excuse me, from uh, Anthony, was will State win any games in the next five? And, and I think most of us believe the answer to that is yes. They're sitting at 14-4 and four right now. They are two and three in conference play. So, what does Ken Palm say? What what percentage chance does Ken Palm, Ken Pomeroy, give Mississippi State in the next five games? Gives them a fifty-five percent chance to win at home on Saturday against Auburn with a final predicted score of seventy-five to seventy-four. One of those teams is going to be two and four. That's unbelievable. It, it, I mean, you would have been hard-pressed to find anybody that predicted that. Yeah. Following game at Alabama. Almost the same result. Mississippi State with a 46% chance to win it on the road. Final score, Alabama 74, Mississippi State 73. 42% chance to win at Ole Miss, but in a two-point loss, as predicted. 61% chance to beat LSU. What's, what's going on there? Did the analytics just not like LSU? I don't know. It, it just seems like... I feel like closer, everybody is... Yeah, don't you feel like everybody is kind of taking their time jumping on the LSU bandwagon? You weren't. I know I wasn't. And and there were some that were like, oh, well, they, they beat Ole Miss. And so, Richard, it had nothing to do with the win or the loss. Right. No, no, they're, it's they're the talented. makeup of they that got, team. They've got players. You could tell how athletic they were that night, and that was the first time. I haven't watched a ton of LSU, but supposedly that was the first time they had really committed to defending for you know an extended stretch of time. And they really just kind of dominated through, through stretches of that game. Do, do you think that people have a concern about – like the buy-in on that team and whether or not Will Wade's going to be able to get them to play hard on a night-in, night-out basis? Well, last time was kind of an example of it. They get up 16. <laughs> they gave up 82 to Georgia. That They yeah, get up 16 points and they just kind of relax defensively. Like, Georgia was like, 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 Georgia had guys that would like make an A to B pass on the perimeter and then just like face cut them for a layup without, like, without it being contested at all. Like, it looked like it's sometimes like a rec game. So they got up and got kind of complacent and then, so yeah, they I, I would imagine that's the fear. At times. Yeah, and then so like they don't look like to Vorky's point, they don't look necessarily disciplined at times because they're so athletic that when they actually commit to guarding, like man to man, they yeah. they just kind of overwhelm teams. So so the next five, according to Ken Palm, one point win, one point loss, two point loss, three point win, one point loss. I mean, so, I mean, it's like the, every game's a coin flip. Yeah. Which, I mean, because State has talent and because, you know, some of these games are at home. You know, you've got, what, three of those five are at home. 
And the one, you know, the two road trips you have Alabama and Ole Miss, good teams, but those aren't unbeatable teams. You know, they're, they're, you can get to those teams. So I get it. You know, I get that they're going to be coin flips. What worries me is when you get past the analytics and you watch how State has played in these opening uh, five games, you don't really see a team that you feel confident in to to step up their game. And and, and now that now that, you know they're in this this tough stretch and come together and play well as a team. That's that's that that would be my concern. Yeah, and you you know we we look at these next five and go, man, that's a tough five game stretch. And so I thought, well, let's look at the next five. Okay, Alabama at home, mm-hmm. at Arkansas, at Georgia, South Carolina at home, Missouri. Now that is a much more manageable manageable five game stretch. I mean, you look at that and you think, okay, if you and that's what we were talking about a second ago. If State can come out of this next five. Two and three, and so they're four and six. Then in that next five, I mean, you, you could go four and one, and then you feel okay, moving everything's moving in the right direction. And then you finish it out with Missouri, Auburn, Tennessee, and Texas A and M. And that's gonna, that's gonna be a tough. That's, you know, those, that's probably two and two to finish out the final four of the regular season. That Auburn and Tennessee games are road games. I mean, that's gonna be Both really tough, really tough. But if you go two and two, well, based on what we just set up, I think you're well. Gosh, you're nine and nine. I mean, that's that's disappointing. But I think you're in the tournament at least. Do you think nine and nine is good enough to get them in? That'd be twenty-one so. and ten overall. I think so. I think so. The, the, their net will probably still be in the the mid thirties at that point. I would think. I, th- I think they would get in at nine and nine. Hmm. I tend to agree with you. Um, we'll see. That was the whole point of the also of the you know, the, the non conference play. It was better that. Was yeah, to get you, better you, there so that you could, you know, go nine. If you did go five hundred, you'd, you'd still get in. The the Clemson win on a neutral floor, the win over Cincinnati. Even though right now they're not in the top thirty, they're currently thirty two. They could work their way into the top thirty. That could be a quadrant one win. It's gonna have to win some games, and gonna have to make some more shots and play a little bit better defense if they're going to do that. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Michael Borky is convinced that the Big Lebowski 2 is on its way. Why is he convinced of that? We'll talk about it next in the Renaissance Bank studio. And now back to back to the sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. So let's get rolling. On Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and right now on the Farm Bureau phone line from Jocks in Birmingham, Ryan Brown, co-host of the Jocks Roundtable. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at RyanBrownWJOX. Brownie, I was thinking about it, and uh, I don't guess we've talked to you since before the national championship game. Uh, Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? See there? We lost him. It was a perfect buildup, and I know he was going to get the reference. Anyway, uh, we'll try again with uh, with Ryan Brown. Don't you hate it when that happens? Um, it happens. Though. It's it's all part of yeah, it. Yeah, it does. It does. So uh, yeah, national championship game. I'm interested to see if there's a little bit of an inside story with regard regard to uh, some of the staff changes that have happened at 
Alabama in recent weeks. Ryan, I had the perfect transition there, and uh, then you were gone. I, I said we've not talked to you since you were getting set to head to Santa Clara for the national championship game. Uh, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? <laughs> well, the, um, the state of warning uh, is still in effect. It goes all the way through okay. January here. Okay. Um, so, so in February, basketball season will start uh, in Tuscaloosa, and uh, there'll be no more mourning. They'll be looking forward to hopefully making the NCAA tournament and um, and trying to find some sort of redemption there. So, and spring football will be here before you know it, and then all will be forgotten. Do you follow basketball closely, even though a lot of your listeners don't? Yeah, I mean we do. First of all, you know Auburn was. Uh, the expectation was going to have a very good team this year. They've struggled mightily lately. And Avery Johnson has injected a lot of enthusiasm into this Alabama program. He's had a difficult time, though, um, keeping it up. He's got the weirdest resume. As, as Ole Miss found out, he's really good against ranked teams, mm-hmm. and he struggles against teams that they probably should be. He's won, uh, he's won a ton of games against ranked teams, six straight at Coleman Coliseum, in fact. But, you know, they end up losing a big lead to Georgia State and a big lead to Texas A&M and just have these back-breaking losses to go with some of those really good wins. It's kind of a weird deal for him. Yeah, and if you if you just change those two, I mean, they're sitting at 12-6 and six right yeah. now. If they're 14-4, and four, they don't have that terrible loss to Georgia State, and they're 4-3 and three in the league, or, well, they're, they're they ranked. should be 4-2 in the league. Yeah. Yeah, they're ranked. Yeah. And yeah the way they played the other night, they're scary. You know, they, well, you're, you you know, here's the thing, and this is kind of it, it's not about one player, but you, you saw Alabama again. The Ole Miss fans saw Alabama and John Petty hot streak. When John Petty is shooting well from outside, they're a really good team. But if he's not shooting well from outside, they struggle to find scores. And Kyra Lewis, you know, you, it's easy to if you watch the games, they remind you a lot that he's only 17 and he's the second youngest player in college basketball. Right. But you know, you, you got to step back and realize he's halfway through his. Season. He should be halfway through his senior season in high school. So I think he's only going to get better. Now he's going to start facing better teams, you know, if they are able to make the tournament, obviously. But I think this Alabama team has got some promise. And um, and the Auburn team does as well. They're without Austin Wiley right now. Once he gets back, that will help them, if nothing else, defensively. They get mauled in the paint um, on the defensive end without him. Ryan Brown on your radio from uh, Jocks in Birmingham. He's the uh, co-host of the Jocks Roundtable. Uh, starts early in the morning, 6 o'clock every morning on WJOX. A um, lot of staff changes. I- is there anything going on in Tuscaloosa on the football side other than just there are other people that want Nick Saban assistance, etc.? cetera? Uh, it-, it just feels a little bit different outside looking in this time than maybe it has in years past. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's pretty much the same amount of turnover you had last year, but it felt different last year because it's coming off a win. And, you know, you've got the, the amount of turnover they have this year coming off a loss and a bad loss at that. Um, it, it, it made it look like, A, Saban was encouraging people to leave, which I think in some cases was true, or B, you know, guys just – they didn't, they didn't like the vibe. They didn't like the grind. They didn't like where this was headed, whatever the case might be. Look, there's no mystery. Nick Saban's tough to work for. I think Nick Saban will probably tell you that, that he's a grinder. He's a guy that his kids are grown and out of the house, so he's not trying to get home every day to see kids. He, his, he and his wife have been married a long time. They've seen a lot of it. So he doesn't mind staying to the office uh, until, you know, all hours of the night. And it's a grind. He expects you, if he's there, to be there. I mean, that's I thought I know guys that have been on staff with him. No guys that are on staff. Well, I didn't know guys that are on staff <laughs> currently. I got I got I got to meet some new guys. 
they tell you that, that that's the expectation, that if Nick Saban's light is on in the office, your light's on in the office, too. And uh, that that's that's tough, man. Not every coach does that. Devil Sweeney doesn't do that, and, and Bob Stoops didn't used to do that. So it's different in, in Tuscaloosa, and you got to know what you're getting into. And there are some guys that thought they did, and they get there and realize, boy, this is more than I counted on. And then there are some guys, you know, Bobby Williams and Kirby Smart and Lance Thompson, who has left and come back. Kirby and Bobby Williams were them for a long time. So some guys are able to deal with it, and some guys it's just too much for them. What happens if Nick Saban's office light is on and your office light is on, but you're not actually there? You know, that's a great question. Are you at his dealership selling cars? Because that might... Um... No, no, we're just going to pretend like my name is Dan Enos. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting story Bruce Feldman had there. So here's the thing that I... I, and I will self, um, I'll self-diagnose that I think of weird things, like the weirdest things jump out at me in stories and movies and shows and stuff like that. If you go back and read the athletic story, and if you're an athletic member, it's worth reading, you know, if, if you're an athletic member or getting a membership to read it. Dan Enos cleans out his office, apparently without informing Nick Saban, according to Bruce Feldman's sources, without telling Nick Saban he's going to Miami to be the offensive coordinator. Saban starts a staff meeting, asks, where do you know what is Enos? He's not there. Sends a staffer. The staffer finds an empty office with nothing but a pencil laying in the middle of the desk. Now, maybe I've watched a little too much TV or mob movies or something like that, but there's a message behind the pencil laying in the middle of the desk. You don't just what do you think the message is? Pencil. I don't know. I don't know. We, you know, we have people. We took phone calls on it on our show and kind of, you know, one of the working theories was that Danny knows always had to have to borrow a pen or something like that. My, my working theory was Nick Saban at one point told him his offensive schemes are so bad he better do them in pencil because they got to erase them all there. Something like that. I, I just think there was some sort of message left behind with a pencil in the middle of the desk. It's really, so, so do you believe that he left without telling anybody? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, and, and if you look at his, you know, kind of his statement that he tweeted, I don't think he necessarily denied that, did he? He just basically said he had a lot of respect and didn't you know, didn't intend on leaving poorly or something like that. Yeah, well, he said, he said, I would never do that, not right. I didn't do that. I didn't do that, yeah. Um, and I hate to read between the lines there. I haven't talked to Dan. He knows about that, and Nick Saban certainly hasn't spoken about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I trust Bruce. Bruce is a really good reporter, and he had multiple sources on that story um, from within the complex. I, I Yeah, I believe the story. I believe that he... He took a job at Miami, and maybe his intentions were to call Saban or get back to Tuscaloosa to talk to Saban. Maybe things just got away from him. I don't know, but I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to believe there was a meeting he was supposed to be in. He missed that meeting and ended up at Miami. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a stretch to believe that at all. You, you know what my favorite part of that story was, though? Was that, <laughs> that? multiple staff members knew that he was gone. And Nick Saban says, where's Dan? Yep. Nobody says anything. Yep. Yep. Where's Dan? Yep. Nobody, where in the bleep is Dan? And then he sends somebody to look for him, and there are guys sitting there at the table who just, I'm not going to be the one to tell him. Yeah, I, don't, yep. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to find in that office, but I am telling it. And, and our <laughs> listeners, uh, the, the majority of our listeners envisioned Butch Jones being the one that had to run to see if he was in the office. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, but I don't know who it really was. I was I, to be a fly on the wall in that meeting when the staffer came back would have been would have been worth a lot of money, I think. So how, how does Butch Jones approach that if it's him? Does he come back in the main meeting room and go, Nick, 
I got some bad news for you. <laughs> the foundation do, yeah. that we're laying brick by brick no longer <laughs> includes a brick named Eno- Enos. <laughs> That's right. There's the brick missing. <laughs> where, where where is his future? Who, uh, you know, I thought he might end up on the field. Look, let me just say this real quick. Um, I, I didn't know him when he came to Tuscaloosa. I was able to talk to him some down in Miami. He, he really is a very, very nice guy. I mean, he, he's a butt of a lot of jokes. I think he's probably a better coach than people are willing to give him credit for because of the way it looked at Tennessee. But he's an extremely kind and nice person. So I would like to say that about him. You know, it was there was conviction. But now that we've got that out of the way, yeah. Now now that we've got that out of the way, there was conviction. Thought he was going to go to um, Maryland with Mike Loxley, and he did not do that. And a lot of people read into that that he was about to get one of these on the field jobs in Tuscaloosa, but. The, the musical chair, the music's by the end, and the chairs are moving, and he hasn't gotten one of them yet. Um, unless an, a coach that's been there a while, like a Joe Penunzio, leaves the field, I don't know that he's going to end up back on the field. Um, so it would be interesting that he he seemed to kind of, I just in my talking to him, I think he felt like he was headed to Maryland and, and Miami, and that's me completely reading between the lines of some things he said to me, but... Uh, I, I was a little surprised that that didn't end up happening, and he still hasn't been named as a as an on the field assistant. It's exclusive. Five o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, glad to have you along. College football fix coming up in just a moment. We'll tell you that Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you have land financing needs of any type, looking to buy a piece of property, maybe it's to uh, build a dream home, maybe it's uh, a hunting tract, whatever it is, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for 100 years. You can find branch locations that are close to you if you're in North Mississippi. They serve the northern part of the state of Mississippi, mslandbank.com. That's Mississippi Land Bank. Hey, I need to do this. Might should have done it earlier. Although I don't know if I really need to do it because she's probably not listening anyway. But today is my wife's birthday. So, uh, yeah. Happy birthday, Jane. We uh, we were able to go eat breakfast this morning. She had uh, been out of town for a couple days and made it back late last night. And uh, got the kids to school, had breakfast this morning. Going to go have dinner as a family tonight. And uh, Mama Jane, well, she keeps us all together. So, uh Happy birthday, Jay. All right, college football fix. Let's do it. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out all about what Ford has to offer. It could be a car, a truck, a van, maybe an SUV. Great choices. Don't stop, though, with the website. Ease on down to your local Mississippi Ford dealer and test drive one today. So we talked about the transfer portal a little while ago. Mentioned Josh Jackson, the quarterback, leaving Virginia Tech. If you continue to scroll through the transfer portal and you get to the running back section, you will notice a new name in there, and it's one that's familiar in the state of Mississippi. Eric Swinney, the running back who has had an injury-played career, has entered the transfer portal. In 2016, he had one carry for six yards against Florida State in the senior season opener. Tore up his knee. 
Came back late in 2017, 41 carries, 195 yards, three touchdowns. This past season, 2018, Sweeney only played in four games, 14 carries, and 45 yards. So, if I'm doing the math correctly, he could potentially play for three more years. That should be correct, yeah. Medical red shirt? Not, yeah. Now, you, you could only qualify for the medical red shirt at the end. You've got to appeal for right. that. You can't. So that would be after his fifth year. Yeah. So one carry in the year where he got hurt and missed the entire rest of the season, and then it only played in four games, so this can qualify as a red shirt season. But that's didn't he red shirt in 2015 as well? Yes, he red shirted in okay. 15. Yeah, so I think okay, he's so Yeah, he's got two. Okay, more. so he red shirted in 15 and that to get was an a medical red shirt for too, 16. Correct? I think that was an injury-related redshirt. He redshirted not 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 for lack of playing. Yeah, so he's had two catastrophic leg injuries. He had a stress fracture in his right leg in 2015, redshirted. Obviously, you went through the Florida State game, 16, redshirts again. And then 17 was his redshirt sophomore year. This past year was redshirt junior. Is there Has there ever been a scenario where the NCAA has allowed for two medical redshirt years? I don't, I don't think, think that's so. possible. I don't even think I have I no idea. I, I don't think it's allowed. You sure? I mean, I don't don't know for sure, but that's that. I mean, you're talking about a guy getting what would be getting a seventh year. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I mean, great way to get a PhD. I mean, yeah, you'd be 25 when you left school. Yeah, great way to get it's a law degree. Great at BYU, but not, not so much everywhere else. Yeah. This isn't well, necessarily surprising. Go ahead, Rippy. I mean, you know, this isn't necessarily surprising. He seems like a nice kid. He's had, you know, some really poor luck with regard to injuries. Kind of fell out of the rotation with the emergence of Isaiah Willard this past year. He and Scotty Phillips dominated the bulk of the carries. Although with you know Phillips getting hurt late in the year, Ole Miss was pretty thin there. But I, I could see, I, I could see him wanting to go somewhere else. You know, I'm just guessing here, but likely maybe down a little bit in terms of competition level. Kind of be the guy, get see more action. Um, so. You know, it, it something that's not necessarily surprising, but seems like a good dude and has had some poor luck. Yeah, he was the guy. I remember when Ole Miss signed him, and then there was a lot of he was sort of the missing piece for Hugh Freeze at that time. You know, that Ole Miss was such a good passing team, but they could never consistently run the ball. He was going to be the guy that came in and gave them that every down back, and it, injuries just just took that away from him. They were excited, really excited about him going into the 2016 season. Mm-hmm. I think he was in the same class. Or if not in the same class, it, close to each other was Saquon Barkley and was rated higher as a recruit. Oh, wow. Wow. And if you remember in sixteen they had that snafu with Jordan Wilkins, so like he was kind of the yeah, guy. Yeah. Yeah. I had forgotten about that, yeah. It was the twenty sixteen seat. That's right. That's why there was so little depth at running back. Right. So they had the grades mix up or whatever, whatever happened there. And so it kind of put an increased spotlight on Sweeney and then his first touch in Orlando. That was a brutal game for Ole Miss. They lost him, they lost Kendarius Webster, and of course they lost the game after having that big lead. Was it up twenty four? It was twenty eight to six at one point. Ole Miss, yeah. if I'm not mistaken I was did not close the half well and let it get to 28-14 or maybe even 28-20 by the half, and then mm-hmm. things just kind of came unglued in the second half. It kind of became the story of the there year. There was a guy named Derwin really James passed. that had a little bit of, of something to do with it. And it was DeMarcus DeAndre Walker. Francois's first college start, too. Yeah. And it looked it looked early. 
in that game like Ole Miss had him on the ropes. He was rattled. He got drilled a couple of times in that game. I, think, I want to say maybe Isaac Gross hit him really hard early in the game. Or maybe, no, it was, I think, Benito Jones. It was his first college game, hit him. Yeah, and then Ole Miss was kind of torching him in the middle of the field. Evan Ingram had a couple huge catches early on, and it looked like it was off to the races. And then the second half, the game did a complete 180. Ole Miss led 28-13 at the half. It was a cool game. Like, FSU traveled well. Ole Miss traveled well. It was a lively environment. That was a uh, that was a fun game. From an MSU perspective on that game, you know, remember that Saturday State had lost to South Alabama. So State fans are already down. And then, you know, like you said, it's 28-3 Ole Miss in the second quarter. And I can promise you amongst my friends who are MSU fans, there was like, Ole Miss is going to beat State by 100 in November. It's going to be really, really bad. And then, of course, you know, Ole Miss loses the game. And that, like you said, Rippy, it sort of became the story of the season. Happened against Alabama. Uh, happened a couple other games for them where they had big leads and, and the defense just couldn't hold them. And, of course, it completely turns around that State ends up winning the Egg Bowl in Oxford uh, at the end of the season. By not a small amount, right? By not a lo- not, it was not a uh, it was not a close game. What does I that running back room look like now? I, I mean, you have Scotty Phillips and Isaiah Woolard. So, and then whoever they signed this year. And I mean, I guess not they're still. Jer- I think what Borky's getting at is you're probably an injury away from being, you know, yeah, a, a quite a bit thin there again. Do you need to go after another JUCO running back? Well, I, I guess think they that's have something two co- they may look at. Sorry about that, Rippy. Um, I think oh, they've no, got no, go two ahead, coming Borky. in this weekend. You've got uh, Jerry and Ely, who Damn it. Uh, it remains to be seen if he even plays football. And then there's an, an Arkansas commit uh, who is coming into town, I believe, this weekend for an official visit. He's a so, DB, though. And there's a lot of – there's some uh, there's some smoke of he's actually coming to Ole Miss or coming to State this weekend, if it's the same kid you're talking about. And a guy that's kind of forgotten, because because he didn't couldn't really ever get on the field back last year is Blue Pinneman. I, I don't know how how much you can count on him. Some people call him Devon. <laughs> so, well, they all called him when you're in the out. know like Rippy is when you're Ole Miss inside. I'm just messing with it. No, it's, um, it's definitely a a listed running back, uh, Amante Spivey. He's listed as a running back. He'll okay, be in Oxford this weekend, current Arkansas commit, and he is from. Uh, Phoenix City, Alabama. Well, there you go. Which is right on the border with Georgia. It's where Clarence Sanders was from. Former guard for Ole Miss. Basketball player. Does that name ring a bell? No. He was on one of AK's first teams and shot the three ball really well. Shot it really well. Yeah. Um, that's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. We've got more coming your way this afternoon. We're going to circle around and take a look at hoops. Big slate of games coming up this weekend. And there's been a lot made about whether or not the SEC should reevaluate how it slots teams into the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And that's fine and good, but as a result of Mississippi State and Auburn not playing in the challenge, you got a heck of a marquee game that is of vast importance coming up on Saturday. Let's look at the entire slate of games that will be happening this weekend. We'll do that when we come back in the Renaissance Bank Studio. 
Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Good to be with you on this Thursday. Weekend just around the corner. Talk plenty about basketball tomorrow, but kind of an early look at the uh, the games this weekend. So it's the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Um, some of these games are really good, and some of them are really not. Iowa State at Ole Miss will start the day. That's at 11 o'clock on ESPN. And on paper, Borky, that's pretty good going in. It will be the first ever top 25 matchup at the Pavilion. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I, I, it's just a shame that it's at 11 o'clock in the morning. Why? Because it could have been, it still will be a really good atmosphere, but it could have been absolutely electric if it was at, say, 7. See, I don't think it's the same. I don't. I don't think night the time really matters for basketball. It's not like you're you're out there tailgating all day. But the most enthusiastic of the crowd will have some more incentive by then to be a little bit louder than usual. You know what I mean? Yes, I guess. They was pulling all night. Hey, they have a hard time getting up for eleven o'clock football games. Well, student crowds haven't been an issue. I mean, it was a noon crowd, noon tip last week. Maybe for people traveling. I mean, what's the sweet spot, though? I mean, uh, on a Saturday, do you want a 3 o'clock tip? Is that perfect world? I think so, yeah. Um, I, don't, I tend to think that this will be a, another pretty good crowd. It should be. And the atmosphere will be very good. I, I just I always lean on the side of the drunker the crowd, the louder they are. I do kind of agree with, I guess you're looking at it from a student perspective, but I think as a general rule, your basketball crowd is not the uh, it's not the same level of lubrication as a, uh, a football crowd. Right. You, you agree? I, yeah. I, I would hope not. Yeah, I mean, they, like, hey, Dad said, there's, there's no, you know, nobody will be in the Grove on Saturday before tip-off, but... I don't remember in my my college days or, or after ever anybody. I don't remember anybody sneaking a flask into a basketball game. You weren't paying attention, buddy. I well, have I mean, it on I, good. Went, <laughs> I, I went with people who I know did it for football games, but I don't remember any of us ever saying let's let's try to sneak some liquor in. Now that said, yeah. you know, back in our day, where we sat in the student section, that would have been really auspicious. It would have been noticeable if, if we were passing around a traveler down there. Um, I do have it on good authority that only 400 tickets remain for the game. So Ole Miss is trending toward its third consecutive home sellout. Uh, they sold out the uh, the game against LSU, sold out against Arkansas last Saturday. And really, it probably will be four in a row because the next home game after Iowa State is Mississippi State the following Saturday. So, so Ole Miss is going to go from, uh, let's see, Arkansas was this. They will go from three previous sellouts to four this year, four consecutive ones this year, and the Mississippi State game is actually sold out already. So, so we got two what sellout is, crowds this weekend because the the hump is sold out as well for the Auburn game and sold out, I believe, for the uh, the women's game on Sunday against Ole Miss. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, forgive me, I'm, I'm not being flippant when I say this. I'm not surprised at all that the women's game is sold out on Sunday. Right. I am a little surprised that the men's game against Auburn on Saturday is sold out. It is sold out. 
about that? So a lot of folks we'll taking in some basketball this weekend. Yeah, it should, should be a good weekend for hoops here. And uh, we got we got a big weekend. I, I don't know if I told you. Uh, got the email today. And uh, MSU baseball media day is Saturday. Okay. So I got a full I got a full day of work on Saturday. So I get. To what go time to, is the Auburn Mississippi State game? Seven thirty. Okay, so it is a night game. It's got a night that, game. That nighttime atmosphere. So the the two SEC games are Auburn at Mississippi State and LSU at Missouri. The SEC Big 12 Challenge, it's Iowa State Ole Miss, Alabama at Baylor, Florida at TCU, South Carolina at Oklahoma State, which is where I will be, um, Texas at Georgia, Kansas State at Texas A&M, West Virginia at Tennessee. That could be kind of fun. West Virginia's been kind of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde this year. Beat Kansas, though, right? Yeah, they did, but they've looked terrible in some other games at home as well. I don't think they're very good. I think yeah. it's kind of a transition year. Vanderbilt's at, at Oklahoma. Oklahoma coming off a win last night against Oklahoma State in Bedlam, where they trailed by 19 in the first half, and they ended up winning by 9. And then the marquee game is Kansas at Kentucky. You've also got Arkansas at Texas Tech. But Kansas at Kentucky is the one that's marquee. Yeah. So. We, we, we've talked about the formula for filling out the SEC Big 12 Challenge, that it's a two-year rotating deal. And so based on where teams finished in the league standings two years ago, you were either in it for the next two years or out of it for the next two years. And people have said, well, that's a terrible way to do it. The, the problem with not allowing a team to be in it for two years is you're going to play at home one year and on the road the next. And so right. you've almost got to allow teams to participate for two years. Right. Kind of a I, sneaky I don't matchup. disagree with you. Kind of a sneaky matchup, and that'll be Alabama-Baylor. Yeah. That game feels like it'll be kind of a bloodbath, like two teams that are really just going to hammer each other inside. And Baylor's gotten better and better. Yeah, Baylor's, uh, Baylor's playing well. Beat Texas Tech last weekend, went on the road and beat West Virginia. Can Georgia get revenge for the Sugar Bowl against Texas? That's a huge storyline. Wait, no, it isn't. <laughs> That's one of Oklahoma State's two wins in Big 12 plates against Texas. Texas is mm-hmm. weird. They're not back in basketball. No, and that, doesn't that underscore taking the, the right smart job? Thing about to happen? Is, it about to, is he about to be on the way out? I, I don't think so. But but that's kind of where I was headed with that. You know, when, when you look at at a coach making the jump from a place where they're having tons of success, like Shaka Smart was at VCU, and I don't think anybody would say, "Oh, that was a really bad move to take the Texas job." No, if the Texas job comes open, you take it. If you'll remember too, he wait he was very selective about what job he was going to leap to next. Like yeah. he had opportunities after the Final Four run and when they won a game in the tournament each of the next two years after that, it didn't really take anything. Like, he kind of lingered there for a while. I mean, he was there, what, six years in total? So, like, he was waiting on, like, this type of job. You know, the the other interesting piece of coaches trying to find the right job, if you, if you get out of coaching, isn't there like a uh, – there, there's like a balancing act – between trying to get the right job to get back into the game versus staying out of the game too long that you look up 
and you're never getting another job. Yeah, yeah. That's what happened to poor old Houston Nutt. It happened with Houston Nutt on the basketball side of things. Um, yeah, Seth Greenberg's a guy that might fall into that category. You know, he was at Virginia Tech. He had had some success some other places, holds out for a little while as a TV analyst, and probably pretty hard to jump back in. I think that's something to watch with Andy Kennedy. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. You know, you, you look at Andy Kennedy, there will be opportunities for him, but you better take the right job, right? Yeah. So, so, so if Andy Kennedy just takes a job for the sake of taking a job, and it, there's an opportunity next year, and it doesn't go well, then he's probably done being a head coach in college basketball. So the, so the whereas, you know, just let me finish that thought. The, the other side of that is, if you're too selective, and you stay out two or three years, you might look up and go, well, "They don't remember what he's done," and probably may not get that opportunity again. So then, did Ben Howland make the right decision? Probably remains to be seen. Ooh. Well, that's a good question. You know, I mean, it's it's. How, how it, long it, was he out after UCLA? Was it two full seasons? Two full seasons, or was it just one year? I'm, it was two. Let me let me double check that. I'm pretty sure I'm right though. I feel like the thing with Ben Howland is he's always he was always going to have multiple Final Fours on his resume. Howland left at the end of the 13 season, and took over at MSU at the start of the 15 season. So two years. Well, Andy's never had a loser. Like, he's won every stop he's gone. Like, there's never been a... I know he kind of got ran out at the end at UCLA, but, like, he's never had a stop where it's been a flop. Yeah, Howland. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the track record is Northern Arizona and Pittsburgh and UCLA. And even though the results have not yielded an NCAA tournament yet for Ben Howland at Mississippi State, the improvement has been vast. And he he certainly can point to that in Starkville. It's an interesting question, though.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.